We are beginning a five-week sermon series looking at the Christian season of Lent. Lent includes 40 days and five Sundays during which Christians intentionally share in Christ's sufferings. Why do we do this as Christians? Well, we believe that the only life worth having is the resurrection life of Jesus Christ. During Lent, we intentionally acknowledge the sin and brokenness of our world, but also the sin and brokenness in our communities and in ourselves. We bear one another's burdens, holding up our grief, our sorrow, and our pain together to God and looking to God for hope and with expectant faith to wait for his answer and his way forward. This Lent, our theme is wicked problems, as I mentioned before. And I just want to say a few words about that. That wicked problems are not simple problems. They're not problems with a yes or no answer. Likewise, wicked problems are not even complex problems that have a clear, definite path or solution, even though they're challenging. Wicked problems have many dimensions. They're influenced by many factors and have no quote-unquote right solution. The best way forward for a wicked problem depends on the context of all the factors at play. And I think this is, when we come to wicked problems, that's often where we come and need lament. Because there's many factors and dimensions. No easy solution. And we often contribute to these kinds of problems ourselves. And so we get in lament the opportunity to hold ourselves up and hold each other up to God. This morning, we're considering societal struggles, as I said, and the war in Ukraine is an obvious example of an acute struggle. But racism and class struggle and so many others are ongoing as well. As we consider war and struggle today, it's worth remembering that Lamentations, the book that's going to guide us through Lent, Lamentations was written in the midst of war. Jerusalem, the city of Judah, the city of David, Jerusalem had been destroyed. The people of Judah were exiled from their homeland. Those of us in North America living today, we can't overestimate the psychological impact of that invasion and battle. Not in Ukraine and Eastern Europe today, and not in Jerusalem. Jerusalem had stood for over 400 years as the capital of first of Israel, then of Judah. The temple was supposed to be a kind of new garden of Eden. God was actually physically there. There was an idea that you could point across the street and say, God is right there. And so the people of Judah believed that they could never be defeated. God was in their city. God was on their side. He was in their midst and against their enemies. But just as Adam and Eve's sin ruined the Garden of Eden, Israel's sin brought God's judgment against his temple and against Jerusalem. And so as we open up Lamentations this morning, the people of Jerusalem are distraught. They didn't listen to the words of the prophets. 
the words of God. And now Jeremiah, the prophet who wrote Lamentations, he's recording Lamentations in chapter, in Lamentations 1, he's recording on behalf of the people, a sort of funeral dirge for the city. So I invite you to hear these words from Lamentations chapter 1. We're going to read the first 11 verses. And because it's poetry, the slides are going to go uh, by really quick. How deserted lies the city, once so full of people. How like a widow is she who once was great among the nations. She who was a queen among the provinces has now become a slave. Bitterly she weeps at night. Tears are on her cheeks. Among her lovers there is no one to comfort her. All her friends have betrayed her. They have become her enemies. After affliction and harsh labor, Judah has gone into exile. She dwells among the nations. She finds no resting place. All who pursue her have overtaken her in the midst of her distress. The roads to Zion, to Jerusalem, mourn. No one comes to her appointed festivals. All her gateways are desolate. Her priests groan. Her young women grieve. She is in bitter anguish. Her foes have become her masters. Her enemies are at ease because the Lord has brought her grief because of her many sins. Her children have gone into exile, captive before the foe. All the splendor has departed from daughter Zion. Her priests are like deer that find no pasture. In weakness, they have fled before the pursuer. In the days of her affliction and wandering, Jerusalem remembers all the treasures that were hers in days of old. When her people fell into the enemy hands, there was no one to help her. Her enemies looked at her and laughed at her destruction. Jerusalem has sinned greatly and so has become unclean. All who honored her despise her, for they have seen her naked. She herself groans and turns away. Her filthiness clings to her skirts. She did not consider her future. Her fall was astounding. There was none to comfort her. Look, Lord, on my affliction, for the enemy has triumphed. The enemy laid hands on all her treasures. She saw pagan nations enter her sanctuary, those you hadn't forbidden to enter, her, enter your assembly. All her people groan as they search for bread. They barter their treasures for food to keep themselves alive. Look, Lord, and consider, for I am despised. Jeremiah puts these words together, as I said, but he's speaking on behalf of the people. You can hear their grief and struggle. You can hear God's people distraught, crying out for him, crying out to him. This is the heart of lament. Societal struggle, whether war or otherwise, goes all the way back to Adam and Eve. When Adam and Eve chose their own way and their own power instead of God's way and his power. Societal struggle comes, it's, it's the fruit that comes from putting our own selfish desires ahead of what is best for others. And more than that, putting our selfish desires ahead of what God has said or determined is best. 
And so today, Vladimir Putin wants to take away Ukraine's sovereignty. He wants to recover the power of the Soviet era. Closer to home, one sibling pushes his other sibling away to take control of the Xbox. A supervisor mistreats his employees because he forgets all of the preferential treatment that he received over the years. The scope of our actions, of course, is massively, massively different. But as Christians, we confess that our heart is the same. That with Adam, we so easily put our selfish desires ahead of what God says is best. In societal conflict, in racism, in war, we see disruptive and desperate consequences of continuing in our selfish ways, continuing in Adam's way. Likewise, we see that we cannot continue in this selfish way because it leads to ruin and destruction and even leads to death when everyone does what is right in their own eyes. Continuing in our own way is what leads to war, saying I or we must control other people. Continuing in our own way leads to racism, thinking that I or we are superior to another group. It leads to all kinds of societal struggles. My needs, our needs are more important than theirs. All of these consequences are a foretaste of the final consequences of sin, which is to say, to put another way, even in judgment, God continues to invite us into a new way, a better way. By giving us a foretaste of the consequences of our sin, he invites us to turn from our way and find a new way. To again reference the Russian invasion of Ukraine, Christians have already been accused. Where is God in all of this? Why are you wasting your time praying? But if war and all of these other societal struggles are the result or the fruit of human selfishness, then only God can correct it. It will do no good for people to, in our selfish ways, try to correct other people's selfishness. Many of you, I'm sure, heard that this past week, a number of U.S. senators suggested that the United States put together a military team to go assassinate Putin. This, of course, right after Vladimir Putin put together a team to try and assassinate Zelensky. If God intervened as we ask and as we desire, we would all be destroyed. Instead, when we see the consequences of our actions, when we see societal struggle on the other side of the world and also closer to home, isn't it an invitation for us to turn to the Lord and do things differently? To turn our hearts back to him and our lives back to him. And it's far better, we believe, as Christians for us to return to God's way, to trust him to find the best solution and to work for his ways rather than our own. This is why the Apostle James says that when we're tempted... No one should say, God is tempting me, for God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. 
But each person is tempted when they are dragged away by their own evil desire and enticed. Then after desire is conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is full grown, gives birth to death. We sometimes mistakenly think that James here is talking metaphorically. And in a way, that we're not saying that sin literally gives birth to death. But we've seen again in the past weeks how desire, selfish human desire is conceived, how it leads to sin, and how that sin literally leads to death. So if societal unrest is a consequence or a fruit of human sinfulness and our sin in the world, then lament turns us away from our own individual ways and refocuses our hearts and our minds back to God. And so James continues. He says, Don't be deceived, brothers and sisters. Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of heavenly lights, who does not change like the shifting shadows. Lament turns our hearts toward God because lament recognizes that we wrongly think we're mostly okay. We wrongly think that we can be the architects of our own lives. Lament realizes that our disobedience and our selfishness, while they operate on a different scale than Putin's or than Adam's, our hearts are the same. With this realization... It's easy for us to become quickly discouraged, seeing our own sinfulness, seeing our own brokenness. Still, we try to fight in our own power for stability and for control. But God does not promise us stability or control. God offers deliverance. And lament turns our hearts and minds to look to God together. And thanks be to God that his deliverance is different from our deliverance. As I prepared for this week's sermon, Pastor Harrison shared a profound thought with me. At least I thought it was profound. He said the Apostle Paul is really like Putin. Paul was a destroyer of God's people. Paul was zealous in his persecution. But God turned Paul's life around entirely. And the persecutor of God's people became their persecuted champion and leader. Now, of course, that's not to say that Putin is like Paul. The point is that God's ways are not our ways. That God's ways are greater than ours. Christ showed his love by praying for those who crucified him. Father, forgive them. God calls us as Christ's disciples to follow in his ways. We too, even as we work for justice, must pray for our hearts and for the enemies of God's kingdom. We never pray for their sin to flourish or certainly not for our sin to flourish. We pray for God's kingdom to come. We pray for God's will to be done as George and his family did this morning. In lament, we recognize that God's will is not done in our world. 
that God's, or that humanity and our sin stands opposed to God's kingdom. Lament recognizes that only the love of Christ in us, in our communities, and in our world, only the love of Christ can transform us and offer us the resurrection life that, as I said earlier, is the life that's worth having. Lament remembers that even God's judgment calls us to turn back toward his love. In our human ways, I think we most often desire two things in the midst of struggle. You tell me if I'm right or wrong. When we're, when we're suffering, when we're struggling, either we, we pray for it to be over quickly, that would be short-lived, or we pray that we could just pause it for a moment, just withdraw for a little while and regather our strength and maybe return later or maybe never. Sun Chen Ra has a book about the book, has, has written a book, a commentary on Lamentations. In that book, he reminds us that those, both of those options to pray that our suffering ends quickly and to pray that we could just withdraw from it, both of those options are not from God. He's speaking again about Jerusalem and the people of God in exile. He says, for a people lacking hope in exile, that's not God, but it's the false prophets who would give the people what they wanted. The false prophets would offer a simple and uncomplicated option for God's people. They would operate like a vending machine. A vending machine offers a high degree of certainty. You can get what you want. Insert a certain amount of money, push a few buttons, and a specific product will appear. Israel longed for, specific, for the specific answer, that their exile would be short-lived. The false prophets offered the exact product desired by God's people, even if the product wasn't good for them. Jeremiah, who wrote the book of Lamentations, obviously also wrote the book of Jeremiah, he addresses these two different answers, that this would be short, that this we could just withdraw. He addresses both of these in Jeremiah 29, where he says to the people, do not withdraw, do not hide, do not listen to the simple solutions from the false prophets. And so in the, midst of, in the midst of societal unrest, if God does not call us to withdraw, if God does not call us to just hope that this ends quickly and move on with our lives, the alternative is lament. Lament is the right response to God's judgment. It's the right response to struggle in our society. Lament is the right response because it turns our hearts from ourselves back to God. Sin dulls our senses. Lament makes us experience the full force of our sin, not just our personal sin, but also the sin in our world. Lament does not allow us, in other words, to look away. When Jesus asks Peter after his resurrection, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me more than these? Many of you probably know the story. That before Peter even responds, John, the, the gospel writer John, tells us that Peter is cut to the heart 
by Jesus' words. This is the greatest pain he's ever experienced in his life. Commenting on this interaction, Oswald Chambers says, this question from the Lord intensifies our sensitivities to the point where this hurt produced by Jesus is the most exquisite pain conceivable. It hurts not only on the natural level, but also on the deeper spiritual level to the point that no deception can remain. But then he adds, the moment of that pain is the very moment at which God reveals his truth to us. As we sit in our pain, as we listen to God and look to God and hope in him, that is when he reveals his truth to us. Again, Sun Chen Ra takes this idea and runs with it. Everything, he says, everything dies eventually. The best and the worst of lives come to an earthly end. Kingdoms and empires wax and wane. Even churches with impressive buildings made of crystal can declare bankruptcy. The reality of life and death and the ongoing cycle of life and death remind us that through it all, Yahweh, the Lord, remains Lord over all. And he concludes saying, the question is not whether there will be death, but how we will understand and address this reality. How will we understand and address the reality of societal struggle in our world, whether it's far from home or in our own, in our own home, in our own hearts? Today at River Park Church, we stand or sit in privileged positions, unlike the ancient Israelites who were in exile from their home, unlike so many in Ukraine fleeing violence today. We cannot allow ourselves to welcome and to beg God's judgment for others, but to hesitate to embrace it ourselves. Instead, we can begin with lament. We can recognize the ways, the many ways in which God's kingdom has not come and his will is not done, both in our world and the many struggles of our society and also in our own hearts. And we can cultivate in ourselves a longing to return to God's way. Scripture pictures God's final judgment very simply as our world being exposed to the full presence of God. Again, if you remember all the way back to the story in the garden, it's Adam and Eve are removed from God's presence after they sin. Judgment in Scripture is a picture of the world being once again exposed to and, and, and facing the full presence of God. So God's judgment is a joy for those who know him. It's a joy for those who love him and who long for him. But at the same time, God's judgment is death and ultimately hell for those who are afraid of him and who run from him. One of the gifts of the Old Testament Lamentations included, is just how faithful God's people were in recording their unfaithfulness and how faithful they were in recording God's faithfulness. Lament is a response from God's people to God in the midst of his righteous judgment against their wickedness, their sin, their selfishness, and the evil 
in their world and in ours. But the Old Testament doesn't just record the response. It records the sin, the brokenness, the rebellion that made God's judgment necessary. It also records the salvation that made God's deliverance possible. God's judgment helps us to see just how far off track we are, just how far off track our world is. And then lament offers us a choice. Will we continue in our own way, doing our own things, or will we return to God? Because he, in Christ, has made deliverance possible. Not just for those far away, but also for those near, even for us. As we begin this Lenten season, we put our hope and trust in God and in his faithfulness, not in our own. We, the church, must engage with this funeral dirge that reflects the truth of our tainted history. When we join God's people in lament, we turn our hearts and our hope toward God. And when we offer our whole selves to God and entrust our whole future to God, then we begin to hear from him. We begin to see his leading and to follow it. Sisters and brothers, God is patiently waiting for us. He continues to provide many opportunities for our world to turn to him. And so let us be the first to come to him to beg him for his mercy and deliverance, not because of our merits, but because of the perfect merits of Jesus Christ, his son, our Lord. I'm going to close us in prayer, and as I close my prayer, I'm going to invite you to recite the Lord's Prayer with me. The words will be on the screen. Let's pray together. Father God, in the midst of so many struggles in our society. Forgive us for thinking that we have easy and quick answers. Lord, in lament, may we turn to you, put our hope and our trust in you. Maybe, may we humbly repent, Lord, from the evil and the selfishness in our own hearts that thinks that our way is better than others' way, that our way is better than your way. And Lord, in the midst of so much evil and brokenness in our world that is beyond our control, tune our hearts so that as we listen to you and as we turn to you, we see what you have placed before us. We see what is in our control and what you are calling us to do as individuals, as a community, as a church family, and beyond. Father, we bring these things, we bring other things in the quietness of our hearts to you this morning, and we come to you uh, as your church, your people have come to you for centuries, saying together, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. 
and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Amen.